0: Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. On this episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names... Wait,
1: wait, wait, where's
0: Vanessa? Mom decided she was sick of talking about conventions she never gets to go to. Oh, so. go ahead. On this episode, Dad talks about his experiences at BGG Con, and the guys also interview Jeff Inglestein about his new game Fog of War. Man, you you better get Mom a good Christmas present this year.
1: And it's another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 107, Flirting with Disaster. I'm Marty. I'm Tony. And it's about time we got some Molly Hatchet up in this thing. Tony!
0: I know. What a great Southern band they're playing. I just can remember that back to my junior high days.
1: It's one of those things every once in a while, I just crave some like Southern rock. And that's usually the first band that I go to.
0: And I think I still might have my cassette tape of their greatest hit. I don't know. (laughs) I have it now in digital format, so I can just go out to Amazon and listen to it anytime. I really need to do that one day. I need to convert over to digital format, but oh my heavens. But you know what else we're flirting with? What? We are flirting with bringing on a well-known designer who's a lot smarter than us on this show. Well, that's about every designer we have on this show. Okay, that's true. So... We're always flirting with disaster. But, I mean, Jeff Engelstein stopping by to talk about his new game, Fog of War.
1: I know. I cannot wait to hear what he's going to tell us about it. It's a brand-new game. Just came out. He was showing it off at BGGCon. Con. I love the World War Two theme. I just can't wait to hear how he designed it and everything. So I'm, I'm really excited about that.
0: Now, are you sure it's going to be out? Are you sure this isn't going to be one of Stephen's classic, it's going to be out at the end of the year? Oh, wait, 2017. <laughs> well, he had it for sale at Con, So I, I hope that means it's out there in the wild somewhere. All right. So that's right. You were at Con.
1: I was. Yeah, we just got back a couple of days ago. Had a really good time staying out there.
0: I'm sure you did. Did you eat enough for me?
1: I did did. I did. We did the hard eight one night and we went to another restaurant that we'll talk about when uh, Jeff Coe's comes on because we got to go with him. Other than that, it was the typical food, Tony. It was the nasty stale pizzas and stuff that they offer. I cannot wait for them to move this to downtown Dallas so that we
0: can have more food options. Uh, I understand. Now I do have a question for you. I have an answer for Excellent. you. Excellent. So when you got your Ubers. Did Matt Evans actually have a seat this time in any of the cars?
1: <laughs> yes, he did because usually we got two Ubers to do anything. We typically had six to eight people going places. So we said, okay, forget that. We're just going to get two Ubers and go from there. And we did. So there was no problems this time around. And
0: you didn't get stuck out in the middle of anywhere where you have to traverse traffic or anything like that, like we did last year.
1: No, we actually went to a different escape room this year. Uh, we did do another escape room. It was uh, my some, a lot of the same people. It was myself and rodney smith and watch it played matt evans from board game replay uh suzanne sheldon Chaz from paradise paradise uh rich summer from cardboard cast and a couple of his buddies Uh, we went to a different escape room and went in went in and tony we knocked that thing out we knocked it out and part of the reason was because matt was made an absolutely brilliant move on a puzzle he went and solved a puzzle without even getting a clue for it. He skipped steps and solved a puzzle without even realizing it. And we were stuck on this one area on how to get a key to open up this one cabinet. And so we asked for a clue and he said, uh, well, you really don't need it because that clue would have just helped you solve the puzzle that y'all have already solved. And we went, well, Sweet.
0: Nice. Way to go. And, yeah. and you also didn't have any sorry attitudes there with you at the escape room like you did last year.
1: Uh, no, we didn't. You weren't there. So everybody had a wonderful time.
0: I bet you did.
1: Uh, <laughs> and what was cool at the very end, uh, The they had this one uh, puzzle that if you solved it, it was like a little word puzzle um, where if you solved it, you got like a free pass next year. The, uh, the quiz was or they said they gave us a little intro at the very beginning before we went in. The guy said, all right, here's the here's the answer to that. Uh, that puzzle. I said this word twice in the intro coming into this room, what was it? And all of us were standing around looking at each other. It's like, oh my gosh, nobody listened to what he said. Suzanne... Uh, steps up and, and it says the word. I don't want to say it in case, in case anybody does a puzzle, but it says the word and we enter it in. It's like, that was it. So that just goes to tell you right there, Tony, guys don't listen.
0: No, we don't. I mean, that's a given. And it's a good thing Suzanne was there. Holy cow. Uh,
1: yeah. Cause we, yeah. Cause we wouldn't have uh, gotten that done. So that was a lot of fun, but guess what, Tony, guess what was the first game I played and I did it in honor of you and, and Rodney made me do it.
0: It had to be strike because I saw the tweets and congratulations on keeping the con alive. The con, um, whatchamacallit, that thing where you keep doing things over and over and over. <laughs> con tradition? Yeah, the tradition. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but it, yeah, let me tell you what. It ends at BGG con in 2016. That's it. Why? Because, Come on. Oh. But the thing is, Rodney kept playing it over and over. And then you people would come up and he'd have to explain the rules and.
0: Why was Vassal on a chair playing it?
1: I don't know. For some reason, he thought he wanted to drop the dice from like three or four feet above. i like, yeah, go ahead. You'll be out pretty quick. And he was. Well,
0: it's a component drop. Oh, there you go. There it was. And now uh, friends of ours who just came, you know, I used to go for New Year's to Kentucky to see them. They just moved in their new house. The first game in their new house was strike. There you, you go. You christened the house with strike. Well done. Thank you. I mean, what else? I mean, it's quick. It's easy. It's fun. They didn't have really any tables or furniture yet. So I said, hey, well, I, we can play this and get this out in no time while we were waiting on all the stuff for them to get moved in. huh? It was easy enough. And I
1: think the game that I actually played almost as much as Strike was Adrenaline then it came out at the show.
0: Still is good.
1: It still is good. But, uh, uh-uh. and there's a but, that game is $70. Okay. It's not a cheap game. It's kind of on that edge of like, is it worth $70 or not? Really? Yeah. Now, we hope to do a full review of this game. We'll get into that later. But that was a question that just kept coming back to my mind. But I got to play that a few times. Uh, hey, I actually got to sit, sit down and play it with um, Alex and Sean from Dukes of Dice,
0: which is a really good time. Did you decimate them? Did you destroy our competition? Did you completely thrash them? No. I think Matthew Ward. Who was you beat?
1: Matthew Ward beat us or Raquel, B. I don't know. I, I did awful. That's all I remember. Uh, okay, well, that's fine. But it was fun teach, teaching them that game. That was good. We also got into a lot of the Lovecraftian stuff. We played a four-hour session of Mansions of Madness. Wow. It, it was so good. It was the second scenario of the base box, mm-hmm. and it was one of those that ended really well. Some people uh, uh, won or escaped, and Rodney got left behind in a, in a building and I went insane. So, <laughs> But it, it was a really cool narrative story. And then the next morning we got up. It was myself, Rodney, Rich Summer, and Eric Summer played Arkham Horror LCG. Mm-hmm. And we used the scenario that they gave out of Arkham Knights as this like one-off side quest scenario. And they took like two to three hours. It is so good. It's such a great story. And the best part of all, we got Eric Summer there narrating for
0: us. Oh, man. I bet that was like eerie.
1: You know, at time to r- read the cards, Rodney and I looked at each other. It's like, okay, we're sitting here with two professional voice actors. What are you two are going to do it? <laughs> and they said, okay. Rich looked at Eric said, you do it. So it was like, all right. And Eric did all of his little voices and everything. It was really cool. Oh,
0: I bet. Now, did Rich like it? Because I bet you he hadn't heard of this until he got there or had he already had his set?
1: Oh, no, no, no. He'd already bought a set and he'd already built a deck. He actually, uh, uh. He, I, and Rodney kind of set up beforehand of setting up a time to go play. He was really looking forward to play. He's played it before. Everybody came in with pre-built decks except for Eric. Eric had never played before. And so Rich had a deck built for him, and uh, we kind of went from there.
0: Okay. I would have worked on my deck too, but it was still at your house where I couldn't get to it. But I gave it to you today. I know. And we'll get to that later. About well, Eventually, you and I will get to play it again. Speaking of card games, do you hear about that Munchkin CCG? I made a tweet back to you that I, you're complaining about Strike, and yet you're playing Munchkin. <laughs> (laughs)
1: I must have missed that tweet. Yeah, so Kevin Wilson Eric Lang is working with Steve Jackson Games uh, to make a Munchkin CCG card game. Uh, Matt Evans and I got to go and play test it for a little bit and try out some of the cards and everything. Look at it; kind of looks like magic, right? You, you, each of you have a main person that you're playing, and they have so many life points. You kill the other person's life, uh, take away the life points, you win the game, and you put out monsters to attack and stuff to defend. The unique thing about it is this. It's kind of like Hearthstone, where every round you get an extra uh, resource to spend. And Munchkin, is called leveling up. Mm-hmm. So you get uh, each round, you get an additional gold to spend towards things. You can put out a monster, and you put it face down, and you put an amount of gold on it, say, I'm going to attack. But you can bluff. Mm-hmm. Where if somebody says, okay, I'll defend, you have to flip over your card. And if it's a monster if it's like in a piece of equipment or monster you can't pay for, you just lost your uh your your money and, and you I think you actually take a damage too, uh to your guy. Or is could it be you really do have a monster there and you really can pay for it and then the guy has to decide whether he wants to face it or not? So this there's this bluffing mechanic that's kind of unique to the game. Um, there's a lot of really funny cards. Uh, Eric Lang was just going through the deck, showing us all these hilarious cards that he made. So that's going to be coming out next year. They're going to have full organized play kits and everything. They want to support it that way. It'll be really interesting to see if the community will warm up to this because it does. It's very, it's not gimmicky is the wrong word. It's, you know, it's very comical and cute. I just wonder if a serious fan base, you know, will pick it up and play like hardcore tournaments and
0: everything with it. All you got to do is stick it on the shelf over there with Target with Pokemon and Belisara and all those other games at the front cash registers and it'll sell. Yeah, that's a good point. So, speaking of other demos, it seems like I've, I've done a lot, of, played a lot of prototypes. I got to
1: play um, a new game that uh, Tom Vassell's looking at as a, a potential uh, Dice Tower Essential game, and it's called Viral. And Arcane Wonders is looking at uh, publishing. And I got to play a prototype of this, and this was really cool. Imagine this board where you're looking at like the. Uh, Some of the internal organs of a human body the heart, the lungs, the brain, the pancreas, and intestines, and all this. And it's kind of has this kind of comic view or really cute view of all this stuff laid out. And each of you is a virus. And your goal is to infect certain organs of the body, and it's an area control game. The more uh, of a certain of your virus that you have in an organ, the more victory points that you're going to get. But what's cool is, is all the organs are connected by veins and arteries. So to me, move between the organs, there's only a certain direction you can go. You know, you can only go, you know, away from the heart using the arteries and come back up through the veins. So there's this whole mechanic of deploying your viruses and moving around the body. It's actually a cute little game. And I really hope somebody picks it up and publishes it.
0: Oh, that sounds interesting. Now, when you were telling me about this earlier, I thought about the app and then the Kickstarter of the game that was the opposite of pandemic, where, you know, you are trying to build pathogens. And I, God, for the life of me, I had it and I just lost it. But that game was, you know, very successful as an app. And I'm like, okay, they've, they've taken it, taken that from having to infect countries and, and build strains of diseases and things like that. Now they're, they've made it, you're the virus and you're attacking the body. That's kind of cool.
1: And then another prototype, I got to sit down and play the big game that's going to be coming out at Gen Con 2017 from Portal alien artifacts this is described as a 4x game that's card based that can be played in one hour so i got to play a rudimentary uh, prototype there's not a lot of final art or anything like this but you have a, a player board a little tableau and you have each of the 4x is located on the board you have uh, was it explore exterminate exterminate yeah that i've screwed up on this somewhere regardless anyway you have different cards for each one of those types of assignments and you draw a card and you put it into play and you try to complete it and you do so by drawing a couple cards from the deck that have resource icons on them and you can allocate those cards to a technology as you try to research and each technology requires so many of that type of resource to enable it and it's really at its core is an engine building game uh, where you try to synergize between your your tech trees, and you explore planets by doing so, it gives you medicinal abilities. But you also buy spaceships, and you build them up with military might, and you can go out and attack others. Now, what was interesting about this is one person said, "I'm going to go all military," and just beefed up their military real quick, and just totally annihilated us because there was no way we could defend. I'm really curious to see how this plays out. Now, it's probably one of those things that, okay, when you realize that it's all about the military, you should beef up your military early. We were all kind of like taken aback at how easily that, that person beat us. And so I'm kind of curious to see where the game goes. We gave them some feedback and everything. So it really did play in an hour. It really does kind of feel like a 4X game. It's going to be the big game from Portal. That's Alien Artifacts. So keep an eye out for it.
0: Okay. Well, I'm glad you got to play that because I know you know Ignacy was asking us about doing demos and all how do you do it at BGCon. I'm sure they were constantly and got plenty of feedback on that.
1: There's another prototype I played. Have you heard about the game that's coming from Gameling Games, Heroes of Land, Air and Sea?
0: Yes. I've heard of that because I uh, didn't they show it to us kind of sort of maybe at Origins? I was thinking they did. Yes, they did. And I got to play a prototype of it. And it's kind of cool
1: too. It's a... Uh... It's kind of a 4 xish game. You have this little area of a map, and you're trying to build out an army, go out and conquer others. Um, it plays really fast. Uh, it's really, really totally different from their Tiny Epic series way different. So, uh, that's going to be coming out, I believe in the Kickstarter in January So keep an eye out for it. I got to see the cute little meeples, uh, that they have for their, uh, tiny Epic quest, mm-hmm.
0: tiny Epic quest. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Where the ones where you can attach like little swords and shovels and, st- and shields to the meeples. Uh, that's, a, that's like a new patented design and the, the meeples are really cool.
0: Those, those look neat too. So,
1: wow, I did play a lot of prototypey
0: games. Gameland Games, Kickstarter is going to bust probably half a mil here for Tiny Epic Quest. Yes, the meeples are cute. They're fun. They're popular. But me off the ledge, I've backed everything. And I've still got stuff in shrink wrap from them because I don't have time to get it at the table. But I want to back this so bad. and I, I, Oh, they're driving. How can you not back it? I don't know. Because then you've got this other one coming out in January.
1: Well, that's the Kickstarter coming out in January. It's going to be a while before it hits. I think it's like the end of next year. I'm still going to have to
0: pay for it. i mean come on yeah i mean you're sitting here and this is the one thing about that drives and no this isn't a rant, but it sort of kind of is i'm sitting here looking at this thing at gameline would you stop it with this i mean why would i not do this and get all the extra content that you're going to offer and then is it going to sit and shrink wrap because oh there's this other game this other game and then of course i've already backed the um expansion to galaxies because i had to do that oh i'm i am I'm beginning to really think that Gamelin has, just has this huge posse scheme with me. <laughs> I don't know why. Why is it that way?
1: Because they make these really cool little games. And, you know, we love the guys at game Like oh, We do. Michael Cole. I mean, they, Nathan, they're just such nice guys, and they're always such a pleasure to hang with. And and when you have nice people in the industry, you want to support them.
0: Well, you do. And if they produce good games, it makes it even easier to support them. Hey, another thing I got to do
1: that was really cool there, I got to sit in on like this little uh, interview from Night at the Game Table. It is uh, Mike Primo who hosts this, and he's actually going to try to publish his episodes on the CBC, which is like the Canadian version of uh, NPR. Mm -hmm. I was in there on a panel with uh, myself and Rodney and uh, Sean and Melina and Stephanie Straw and and Suzanne and we just talking about uh, how social media is used in gaming and how you can use social media to bring others into gaming everything is real interesting conversation supposed to come out in December and when that comes out uh, I'll let uh uh, people know uh when, when that hits and uh, that was the first time i got to, uh, to meet uh, melina guberinic sure i'm sorry if i pronounced that wrong but she does the blog Melinia's fresh cardboard mm-hmm. uh, she does really good reviews she does a lot of heavy games and stuff like this really nice person so it was it was nice to meet her uh so that's gonna that's kind of cool we also did a uh, a podcast panel that uh, eric dewey I had where he got several podcasters and other people that were interested in doing podcasting to come up and, and uh, just ask questions. And so when it came time for Eric to introduce me, let me tell you how this went, Tony. This went just like this.
0: i <laughs> no, looks over at me. I already can see disaster on this. I, I can see it coming. He looks over at me. He's introducing people. He looks over at me. And he says, and then from rolling dice and techie names. There it is.
1: Tony. <laughs> I went, oh my <laughs> gosh. It didn't help that just three feet away from me, Stephen Bonacore fell out of his chair laughing so hard. That's awesome. I knew it. Did he do it on purpose? No. He tried to play it off, but it's like, oh, I know that. It's Marty, and he came to later. I'm so sorry I got your name wrong.
0: That's funny, and I'm not even there, And but how did the panel go? I mean, first off, you got up there to talk about how to do a podcast. I don't know why
1: people are asking me that question. They've heard this one. I don't know what I'm uh, doing. But,
0: I mean, were there good questions? I'm sure there were good questions, and
1: how? Oh, yeah. It was a lot of questions like, what do you use? What's well, some ticks uh, and trips?
0: That's awesome. Tricks and tips. English-speaking skills is one of those things.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's. that's Best requisite number one. <laughs> I obviously do not have. What was fun, though, Eric made made up for it later. He came by the table and said, do you guys have interest in playing a 1978 version of the board game Family Feud? And we all looked at each other and went, yes, we do. (laughs) And that was the most fun. It was the old, uh, he had the old screen from like 1978. I actually had this as a kid, too, with the little pieces of uh, paper for the puzzles that you slide behind, and you can pull out little plastic doors that uh, reveal the answer and everything. Oh, man. Uh, uh, that was that was more fun than what it should have been,
0: well, it's kind of like playing oh, I don't know strike no, I said this was fun, okay, I got you, so yeah, whatever, all right, what else did you do at b g g con or can can we stick a pen in this and and our fork pen bust a bubble well i
1: I was hoping to have some cool roommate stories. I had uh, Matt Evans, Rodney Smith, and Paul Dean from um Shut up and sit down in the room with me i, got, I there was no stories, there was no
0: hot pocket stories or it was kind of boring. No, all my all my flights got canceled. I'll never get home. Stories. I'm gonna be stopped at no. the border.
1: Yeah. So so the roommate. There's no really funny roommate stories to tell this year. We all just kind of like went to bed and then got. Now what was funny is when we never saw Paul come in at night. I would just get up in the morning. And he was there sleeping. And then I would leave and come back, and he was gone. And the next morning, I woke up, he was there again. So
0: I don't know when he was coming in. He's a small kind of character, you know. He's probably he had probably had that hobbit stealthiness going on or something. What do you mean he's a small kind of character? Well, isn't isn't Paul uh, small, shorter than you? <laughs> this is so funny. So you saw the picture, right?
1: Yeah. There's a myth going around that Paul's only five two, and he wants to keep that myth going. <laughs> So he squatted in the picture. He's like 5'10, 5'11. Well, you know, I mean, when you look at some of their videos, what can we say? All right. So anyway, no, he's he's a he's a normal-sized fellow. Oh, but I do have a Marty story. You do. So I'm in the I'm in the main hall, and lo and behold, I see Isaac Vega coming down the aisle. I said, Oh, Isaac, hadn't seen him. Isaac is one of the hug buddies, right? He's like yeah. a Scott Morris, gives good hugs. I walk up to give him a hug, and right as I do, swing up my arm, knock a bottle of wine that's sitting on the table
0: all over a new, freshly opened Mystic veil. Vale. Good job. <laughs> nice. Rodney was brilliant in keeping his specialized map of strike away from you. I do this. I feel awful.
1: Come to find out, it wasn't their personal copy. It was the uh, copy of the library. Not that it really helps any, but it wasn't their personal copy. And the whole table of people behind me that just left, you know, my old friends, they don't come up and help. They just sit
0: there. Oh, they're videoing.
1: Oh, they probably are. There's probably pictures and videos, and they probably didn't show me because I was just so embarrassed. So once again, it's a Marty Spill story. It's red wine all over Mystic Vale.
0: You know those cards are sleeved. They should have been protected. That's true. But the
1: cards that you insert into the sleeves, the starter cards, those are the ones that got messed up.
0: Ah, uh, it's okay. They're starter cards. It's a little bit, marked, No big deal. Now Suzanne says she was bringing the Concrud with her. did what did she? I'm not sure. She didn't sound too bad. Rodney brought the
1: Concord with him. He was like sniffing and snorting and taking medicine all week long,
0: but I don't know that I got it. But anyway, so he was the one that came sick. You know, he has got to get ready for winter, so he's, I hope he got his flu shot because he's fixing <laughs> the snow up there.
1: Yeah, but once again, it was a great time. Thanks to everybody who came up and said, hey, I gave out a lot of ribbons. I saw our squirrel shirts all over the place. I gave out a lot of moon pies. Uh, wonderful time. Wonderful people. Can't wait for it to move to a place where it's a little bit easier to get food.
0: But of all the things you got to admit, flying into the airport, getting to the hotel within oh, five minutes, if you've landed Terminal C is a very nice thing versus taking a 30 minute ride to downtown Dallas. But you're right.
1: Yeah. You
0: know, and that's 2019, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And it was Terminal C. Walk right across the parking deck
0: your, and you're at the hotel. Glad you had fun at BGG Con. I'm glad you came back safely. I know you got to see a lot of people. I got to see all the tweets and all that garbage that was going on. And I'm glad, I'm so glad you brought us some segments from the people you interviewed.
1: I didn't think we were going to talk about that. Oh, okay. My bad.
0: We won't talk about that. We'll just let that go.
1: Well, no, you just set me up. Yeah, okay, so fine. So I was supposed to take my handheld recorder, and I had this really cute game thing. I was going to go around and ask people these cute questions. I get to the hotel. I freak out. I can't find it. I call Vanessa and I said, is my Zoom and mic lying around? She said, yeah, it's right here on the table. Oh, so I don't have any cute segments.
0: Yeah. So you send me this email and send me some of the options and some of the questions and I never hear back from you. I, I, I rack my brain for probably about 10 good, great questions. Just storm away. We'll use them later. We'll use them at Origins next year. How about that? Well, that'll be good since you'll be there. That's right. And you'll be at the Rocky Mountain thingy. Before we get Jeff in here and talk about Fog of War, the Jack Vassal Memorial Fund auction concluded. And a guy who has been supporting us for so long was the top go-getter we don't know why
1: <laughs> the, the top go getter way to go get him.
0: Well, he went out and and he probably stood, you know, out there and said supporting these poor fools in the Carolinas. But Mike, thank you so much for your winning auction bid, Marty and I. We promised you a box of squirrels. We know they're going to love where you live out there on the West Coast in Utah, Salt Lake City area. They're going to enjoy their new location. I just hope the. USPS does not worry about when their box comes and There's a lot of racket. Maybe I can, you wonder if I can sedate those squirrels? Oh yeah. And just make sure there's air holes in the box. That's all I ask. I'll do that. We'll definitely go priority. So they'll get there in no time and he can cut them free and then get out of my freaking backyard.
1: <laughs> yeah, but Mike, thank you so much. Tony and I have been working feverishly today trying to decide what to pack in this box. And it, whether it had been Mike or anybody else, we were excited to have all these little ideas to throw in this box. But it's, it was great to see that uh, one of our longtime supporters won and supported such a great um, auction. And for all those who supported the auction, for all the items out there, uh, thank you so much for donating. And for those who donated their time and the games and everything, it's it's a... It's a great charity.
0: All right. So let's go talk to Jeff about Fog of War. The Broken Token, like everybody else, had an incredible Black Friday sale. We hope that you are able to take advantage of some of their discounts on some of their incredible organizers from Splendor, from the Pandemic, the great series that they have. And if you're like us and you have the Arkham Hara living card game ready to go, be sure to look at getting those card organizers that will fit into those awesome wood cases from Hobby Lobby. Go ahead, get it out there, or better yet, with the holiday season upon us, check out their e-certificate so that you can get a gift card for that special someone. Go to TheBrokenToken.com.
1: We are excited to have a first-time guest on our show tonight, Tony. It's Jeff Engelstein, who was well-known for all of his work in board games, such as he has a podcast called Ludology, which is way better than this one because it's really intelligent and everything.
0: Uh, I would agree with that. (laughs) He does a
1: great segment on Dice Tower called The Game Tech, and he is a designer with games such as Space Cadets, Dragon and Flagging, and the game he's here to talk with us today, Fog of War. Welcome to the show, Jeff.
0: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. We really do appreciate you taking time out, uh, Jeff, from your busy schedule and sit down and talk with us about Fog of War. Now, be sure to mention this to the podfather, Stephen Bonacore, that we have paid our respects with this one, okay?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sure to let him know. <laughs>
0: now, Jeff and I
1: just got back from BGG Con, Tony, so I think we're still kind of recuperating, but I think we're getting there.
2: Well,
0: I know it wasn't because of the incredible amount of food you had, other than when you went out to probably eat the barbecue. Now, Jeff, I know you weren't—you didn't fall victim to that. Everybody's got to go eat barbecue, did you?
2: Uh, actually, yeah, I did not go to the uh, the Hard Eight or any of the other barbecue places this year. I was—I was a little bit sad about that, but it just didn't work out.
1: Yeah, but Jeff, where did we go? You and I and a group of people went and ate at a Sharknado. No, what is that called? What was that place that we were? What was it called? A Charlotte-
2: charcuterie.
1: I don't know what that is, Tony, but we went and ate at a charcuterie.
2: Cured meats. It's all about the cured meats. It's cured. Yeah, it's all about
1: the cured meats. We get to this restaurant, Tony, and they say, okay, what kind of meats and cheeses do you want? And they (laughs) they have this menu of all these different kinds of meats, Tony, that I have never... It's not your typical things, Tony, like ham and bologna or anything like that. It's these really fancy meats, Uh and I have no clue what I'm doing. It's all about the blood sausage. Gotta get the blood (laughs) sausage. Yeah. So she looks around the table at a very confused group of people. And she says, do you want me just to order for you? Because I kind of know what people like. And we went, yes,
2: we do. Well, was it good? That's the big question. It was good. The group was good. The conversation was excellent. It was a fun night. Jeff, what main dish did you get? I forgot. I got the ravioli. Got the
1: ravioli. And Tony, I got venison. And this venison was from... Okay, it was either the mountains of New Zealand or Switzerland or somewhere. It was, she was telling us all this thing about how these deer are treated, how uh, planes can't fly too low over them. They can only fly over like <laughs> once a week because they don't want the deer to get stressed and they don't want it to taste gamey. Well, she sold me, let me tell you, that was the best venison I've ever had.
0: So, once again, we have lived up to our calling. We are not talking about board games with a great <laughs> designer. We start talking about food. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. Get us back on track. All right. So, Jeff, all, you've done a great job. Space Cadets Away missions, I mean, everything, Dragon and Flag. And I just really want to touch on that because I haven't been able to get it to the table yet. Were you really
2: surprised at how well that's being received? Well, I was a little bit, honestly. Uh, I, I think of all the games that I've come out with, that one was the one that I was kind of most concerned about in a way because it's there's not a huge amount of strategy with it. You know, it's you got to go into it with the right attitude. You know, it's you're you're in a bar, you're throwing mugs, you're, you know, you're jumping on the tables, you're boasting, you're, you know, you're pulling the rug out from under people. And, you know, good stuff's going to happen to you and bad stuff's going to happen to you. And it's just, you know, just a way to have fun with your friends. And if you sit down there and you try to, you know, get super strategic about it, mm-hmm. and really, you know, have the perfect plan, then you're, you're not going to have a good time with it. So I was hoping that people would approach it with the right attitude, and so far they have. Um, you know, certainly uh, I, I've been very gratified by the reception that it's gotten so far.
0: Well, and I think for overall that from the standpoint of gamers, sometimes you just got to play that light game that in, and enjoy it. I mean, it, it all cannot be games like, oh, I don't know, Strike, Heavy strategy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's already like the second or third time we've announced that game
2: this episode. Uh, I actually got to play Striker the first time at BGGCon. I was very excited. Oh, I'm just going to step away from the mic at this (laughs) point.
0: You you did. (laughs) That's interesting. That you finally. That's great. I don't want to know what you thought of it because I'm (laughs) not going to ruin it for everybody. But so. Interesting that you finally got to, if you of all people I figured you would have had that one under your um belt in no time to help you design other games, especially dice rolling and the strategy behind it.
2: Uh yeah, well, sure. The, okay. the depth <laughs> the depth of strategy in that game, it was I, I'm I'm glad that I finally did get exposed to it so I can now add it to my arsenal of design techniques.
1: Jeff, my feelings were kind of hurt when you asked for potential names for your game and I said, haha and I thought that was going to win, and he didn't
2: pick it. It so. was awesome. I love that one, actually. br R E W haha. Uh, in the end, the, uh, the powers that be uh, decided that they didn't want to emphasize the alcohol nature of the game and wanted to try to make it a little bit... Uh, a teeny bit more um, family friendly. Oh,
1: uh, let's see. Powers the Be couldn't have been Stephen Bonacore because he's all about the brew.
2: He, Oh, yeah. No, he's very happy about that. And, you know, we <laughs> were happy to get Gen Con. We gave out these great dragon and flag and pint glasses, which he's he's got a whole stash of now at his house. But uh, just in terms of the markets that, that uh, he wanted to try to go for and maybe even get into like Barnes and & Noble and stuff like that, just thought that it would be. Uh, you know, keep keep it a little bit more family friendly. I mean, certainly there's you know a large sloshing mug of beer on the on the cover, but still.
0: Before we jump over to the game, you're here to talk to us about Fog of War, which we're very excited about. I do want to ask you about your relationship with Steven. I mean, has, he has he have you ever uh, sent him a game that he has said, "No, Jeff, try again," or he's not that kind of guy, is he? He's
2: taken everything. Oh, that's completely not true. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> i have showed him many many things that he has rejected yeah uh yeah actually uh no no there's there's been a bunch of stuff bunch of ideas and and even some more serious stuff that i've put in front of him that he has he has turned aside so but in all kidding aside, you said, y'all have a great relationship that's for yeah, sure. we do you know look we live 15 20 minutes apart from each other and uh you know especially now that he's working at, out of his house primarily now that he's uh, retired from his uh, regular full-time gig you know we meet for lunch or whatever and so it's just you know, if I've got a design, if I've got an idea, it's really easy for me to show it to them, you know. Um, so we're, uh, uh, you know, it's, 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 and so that's what's kind of, you know, blossomed into a relationship. But I do have, you know, this uh, 2017, we've got a, I've got a, a game that's going to be coming out with WizKids, which I'm excited about, which I can't talk about at night right oh, now. No. but oh, we'll, we'll be able to talk about, I'll come back to talk about that. Please, back. Hey, we, we got you on record now. You're coming back. That's all there is to it. And we've also got um, the uh, uh, trade, in, trade on the Tigress, which is going to be coming out from Tasty Minstrel Games, uh, which is the game that we uh, designed sort of live time on Ludology. So, so uh, you know, I'm trying to branch out a little bit to some other publishers.
0: Okay. Well, don't you have codes, covenants, and restrictions in your neighborhood about running a business in out of your house? Shh. Okay, my bad. <laughs> 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 no so so fog of war yes what prompted you to go away from space and bring it back to world war ii w- w-
2: where where was the inspiration my start in gaming going back to the the 70s the early and mid 70s um you know i i was seriously into war games the first one you know the first real quote-unquote hobby game that i ever got was um rick tuffins war from avalon hill um which was an old uh, world war one by playing fighting game and love that and went from, you know, just started playing lots and lots of the the Avalon Hill games and in college was playing the monster games. So I, I had a real war game pedigree. And then in the, um, uh, the nineties kind of got away from that, got married, had kids, started getting into the euros. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of never really looked back on those, those serious, serious games. I found myself, I guess in the mid 90s or it was maybe late 90s reading. I should probably look up and see when it was published. Uh, reading a, a really fascinating book on World War II called The Deceivers, which was specifically about kind of the intelligence and all of the um, uh, the things that they did to try to deceive the other side about where uh, D-Day was going to be or, or different operations that were happening and how the Germans surprised the Russians so thoroughly in Barbarossa and all of the code breaking that happened in the Pacific. And, um, you know, I realized that, there hadn't really been a game, you know, as much as I love, you know, games like World in Flames and Third Reich and Europe Engulfed and all of these massive games that that they don't really capture the idea that you have to plan ahead um, and that you need to try to misdirect um, the enemy to, you know, shifting their forces away from where you're actually going to be doing your attack. Almost all those games are kind of you know, even when there's some hidden information, you have a pretty good idea of what's going on. And usually when your turn comes, like in World in Flames, you know, when my turn comes, I can just look at the board and say, okay, you know, this, this is where my opponent's set up and I'm going to just do this perfect plan. I'm going to get three to one odds here and then I'm going to exploit and I'm going to move here and, you know, and one misplaced piece in advanced or right can spell doom for your entire force. And it is, for all of its, you know, simulation aspects, is completely uh, unrealistic. Uh, from that standpoint, and so I started thinking about how could you make a game that was um, kind of captured that spirit of planning and inertia and and worrying that you know do I cancel this thing or do I go and um, and still be playable over a board rather than have to have a computer moderate it and you know it took from when we first i first started working on it it was 12 years before it saw a publication so there was a lot of iteration and things i threw away and different concepts and stuff like that um but i'm i'm really um, very very pleased with with where it is now and i i just so excited and proud of the system that um, that eventually developed
1: and let's to get a little bit of details about the game so this is a two player only game correct mm-hmm.
2: yeah it's two players axis vs allies just in europe it's it's uh, world war 2 in europe and how long does it play um it is uh, plays in about ninety to uh, ninety minutes to two hours, and that was actually one of the things that Stronghold really pushed for. Um, the The first version of the game that he saw a few years back was it uh, took about three hours, and he uh, S- Steven said, "Look, it's it's really got to get down to two hours," and um, worked really hard. And actually, that really did improve the game. It made us, you know, dramatically streamline the combat system, and which which helped because it really put the focus of the game is now all on the this intelligence and bluffing aspect you know a lot of these subsystems we had we had strategic warfare we had all kinds of different stuff and um it's a a lot a lot of it get left by the wayside and and the game is much better for it so it's a it's very comfortably a two-hour game which I think works really nicely,
0: and that was interesting. When I was going through the r- rules, you're, you know, you have that intel part of the game where you're trying to guess, and I think that mimics pretty well where you know you think of the generals in that time. They didn't have the radar systems. I mean, they had them, but they not like we do today. And it was a guessing. And how do I get that information? How important it is? And I think you bring that out in this game.
2: Yeah, I, you know, one of the things that I really. Is really neat, and and that I felt, you know, one of the play tests like four or five years ago that we did, that it it just kind of gelled for me was, um, just to give a real quick overview of kind of the way the game plays is so the the units are all represented by cards. The map is just an area map of twenty eight different areas. I think 20, 23 land areas and five sea areas, and um, around the perimeter of the map are a series of boxes. Looks a little bit like a Monopoly board for it to describe like that. And the map is just used for control tokens. You just put on there who owns which territories. And all of the units are represented by cards. And there's only a, like eight different types of cards. There's there's ground cards, which are one, two, or three strength. There's sea, or, uh, fleet cards, which are one, two, or three strength. There's uh, air units, which are one ground and one sea. And then there's dummies, which are zeros. That's basically it if you want to defend an area you put cards face down into one of the, the box that matches that area around the outside if i'm defending paris i just take cards from my hand and i put them face down in the paris box and if i want to attack though i have to use um this wheel system um which was one of the big breakthroughs in the design uh that that made a huge difference when we came up with this was the operation wheel um which is a it's a a, a dial with six spaces on it and when you want to start attack something, you have to take, you have a separate deck of cards, one for each area on the board. So if I want to attack Paris, I just take out the Paris card from the deck, put it face down in the, the next of the open box for the current new operation, and then just take cards from my hand that I want to dedicate to that operation and put it down in the box. So my opponent knows I'm attacking somewhere, maybe unless there's little dummies in there, but they don't know where I'm attacking at all. And, um, you know, one time we were playing and you can have multiple of these operations going and all of a sudden, you know, I tried to do some Intel on, on their operations and you can try to look at the cards that are face down, attacking or defending, um, before they, the operation actually gets launched because it takes multiple turns to get your operation ready to go. So you have a little bit of a window of opportunity to learn where the person's attacking, which is where a lot of the tension in the game comes from. And all of a sudden he just opened up in the like 1940 massive attack on Russia and, I had no idea. And I had no guys there at all. It really was felt like, you know, Barbarossa, you know, the, the, the Axis were just rampaging through uh, the Soviet Union spaces, just gobbling up space after space. I had nobody over there. I had a lot of people in Paris still, I was scrambling to throw any card I could, you know, with all kinds of dummies everywhere, just to try to, you know, force the Axis maybe to slow down a little bit. And it was great. I was, you know, I mean, I got crushed. But I was, I was happy about it because it, it captured that feel of total, total surprise that, you know, happened in the real war. I mean, in most of these games, in, you know, your big war games, you see the giant stack of German pieces lined up against the Soviet Union border. I don't know if you guys have played any of those games, but it's really obvious that that's the next big strategic thing that the Germans are going to be doing is they're going to be attacking the Soviet Union because that's where all their armies are. And um, there's usually some sort of artificial surprise rule that's built into the game to, uh, you know, to force it to take historical lines. Uh, And so this so that the Soviets can't just, you know, they have to keep their forces forward. They can't just pull back and go around their cities or whatever. We don't have any of those kind of special rules. All of that interaction, that surprise totally comes naturally out of the core system, which I'm really uh, – it's pretty neat.
1: Yeah, that seemed to be what really separated this game from from other games and kind of made this game unique. And I think it's what's got a lot of people interested in it. Speaking of which, you actually were demoing the game at BGGCon to a lot of different people. And what has been the reception so far?
2: I think in general, people really uh, have have liked it. Um, It's a little bit of a tricky one to demo. Um, I've gotten a little bit better at, at demoing games in general at conventions, just from, from experience. And this one is difficult because a lot of the, the whole first year of the game is involved in setting up your early plans and setting up your defenses and kind of probing and, and, you know, developing an overall strategy. And, you know, then when you get into the second, third and fourth years, that's when it really, you know, everything starts to, to explode. So you got to have a little bit of a slow start. And normally I like to, like when we were demoing the dragon and Flagon. Um, which is a program movement game. We pre-programmed the movement for all the players. When they sat down at the demo table, we had everything set to go, uh, you know, so that way they could jump into it and they could just start turning over cards. It's hard to do this because there's so much hidden. I don't want somebody to walk up to a board with, you know, stacks of cards face down in various places on the board and everyone's got to go and peek and learn. And it's very easy to do it when you you develop the plan yourself and you know where you're putting stuff. But if you just sit down and, and do it, it's, um, you know, come to a board that's already set up. It's, it's hard to do. So it's hard to start the game in the middle. The, the people that stuck it out, I think, um, you know, definitely really enjoyed it at a lot of people that ran right from the demo table over to pick up a copy, which is always gratifying. And, uh, you know, a number of people have played all the way through uh, for, the, for the full two hours just in a demo, which is very unusual. Most of the time I expect people to play maybe well, a couple of rounds and then that's it just to get the flavor of it. And then they move on.
0: But is it fair for them to get it? Because you mentioned the operations will, and I really like the aspect of how it- yeah, I place a card in that, and you have a good use of the correct military for Alpha, Beta, or Bravo, <laughs> Charlie, Echo, and Foxtrot. Good job yep. on that. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, that you force people, okay, I'm going to start a new operation here by going in, just p- placing the cards there. But people have to, you build that tension because they can't suddenly play card in on the next turn attack because they have to turn the wheel and, and wait on that. And I like that. that. That's one of the neat things that I got from reading the rules that you're building attention and has that held true in your demos.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Especially when somebody, you know, so the first two turns an operation is on the wheel. You can't, you're not allowed to launch it at all. You can keep adding cards to it. Um, it's not just the cards that you put there it's when you create the operation that are the ones that you're, you have to play with it, but you can add new ones to, to strengthen it or add more dummies to, to make it look stronger than it is things like that. And um, then on the third turn, uh, then you can launch it, but then the defender gets a bonus. Defender gets an extra plus one strength. Then there's two rounds where it's just even. And then the last in the sixth slot is the last chance you have to launch the operation. But now the attacker gets a plus one bonus. And, you know, given that the strengths are like ones and twos and threes, and you're trying to get double the opponent, you know, having a plus one on either side can be a big, a big swing. So, You know, you want to, a lot of times you want to wait or you want to, you have a sequence of operations that you want to launch all at the same time. So you got to kind of plan over a series of multiple turns so that you can, you know, slowly build up all four, you know, four operations going into Russia all at the same time. And then you unleash them all on the same turn. In between, at the end of your turn, you're allowed to spend these Intel tokens to try to look at your opponent's forces. And you can look at half the cards in the stack. So if I'm launching into Paris, My opponent can look at it and he gets to see half the cards and maybe he saw that I'm attacking Paris or maybe he just saw the dummies there or maybe he saw my three strike tank. I don't know what he saw as the person that's launching the operation. So now I've got some tension saying, okay, he saw something. I finally wasn't able to block him looking at the Paris thing in terms of intel. So do I launch now and I'm not quite ready yet and I'm trying to get some more forces before he can reinforce or maybe he's not going to reinforce – and uh I just yeah, have another extra turn to add a couple of more guys. I felt that the that delay was critical to making the 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 bluff work and 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 kind of the deception and the this the length of the operations goes hand in hand. I mean when the Allies were planning D-Day, you know, they planned for months and months and months and months and months, and then you know, a couple of weeks before, if the Germans had suddenly moved all their forces to Normandy. They couldn't just like, you know, flip a switch and say, okay, now we're going to invade over here. They either had to go or they had to cancel. Those were their only two choices. And those are the two choices that we give you here. You know, you can go ahead with it and hope that they haven't massively reinforced or that, you know, that, that new, those new cards they just added are dummies or you, uh, you know, you just go for it and hope for the best.
0: Yeah. And and the intel, I mean, that's another part of the bluffing mechanism. Like I was talking about where you can cancel someone looking at your cards and that can be a bluff. I mean, you've got bluffing scattered throughout the game and, and that's part of the war as well. Dealing, dealing with bluffing with one another.
2: Yeah. It's all, about, it's all about misdirection. There's a lot of kind of pokery sort of elements where you want to, you know, maybe all of a sudden you start, you, you have a giant stack of cards and you start anytime he tries to do Intel there, you use your own Intel tokens to block them and people start getting freaked out about what that really is. And it's really a, nothing, which again is kind of historical. I mean, the allies very famously had a, a whole fake operation to invade Norway at the same time um, yeah, they were planning D-Day.
0: They, they put out everything to, f- to faint to say, okay, we're going to go here, no there. And, and it just worked out well for them. So now, and then of course, people have to take in mind, you not only build in, well, it's not just about attacking. You also have to do supply lines as well. And because that's your resource generator, right?
2: Yeah. Well, and the supply, we, we really kept it kind of simple. Um, so basically you're only allowed to attack provinces that you're next to and can trace, you have to trace a chain back to your your home base. Is basically what it is. So you can't just start by attacking deep in Russia. You have to build and conquer territories out there. There is a production system. So some of the provinces will have little resource symbols in them. And if you can take those, so I, I mentioned that each person has a deck of cards um, with their forces in it. And you you typically have between 15 and 20 cards in your deck. And when both players go through their deck, that's the end of the year. When just one player is done with their deck because they can be unequal in size and you can pace how you want to play, how fast or slow you want to play your cards, which is another skill factor. But when one person runs out, it's winter. And then when both people run out, the year ends. And um, and then you, you have little production interstep. So you can buy new cards. And every single card costs one, regardless of what it is or the strength, it just costs one point to buy a card. and usually have like six to ten points to spend on cards. But if somebody, you know, if the Germans want to invade Britain, they could spend heavily on fleets or, you know, land units or whatever. You don't know what somebody's buying because all, all the purchasing happens secretly as well.
0: And, and you got neutral company uh, countries coming into play as time builds. I mean, the USA is not there at the very beginning and it always helps, you know, the allies. So that's a really unique aspect of the game from the historical side of
2: it. Yeah, that was always a bit of a balancing act is that I wanted it to be historical. You know, I, I had some of the play testers that looked at it. You know, there were certain things that they... They wanted to just be able to do anything, um, attack any country and stuff like that. And we loosened some of that, but we still kind of kept it so that it was somewhat historical. You know, there's rules that when the Germans ca- – if the Germans capture Paris the first time, then France falls and all of the other French territories automatically convert over to Germany. So there's – yeah, there's some political stuff because we wanted to give it the texture of World War Two. We didn't necessarily need to include those for it to be a better game, just – strictly from a game standpoint, divorced from history. But, I, you know, I really wanted people to learn something about, you know, the way that the war flowed and the reason that certain decisions were made.
1: Are there any plans to use this sort of the, the card and uh, bluffing mechanic for any future games?
2: Yeah, I, I would like to. Um, I've been toying around with using it in a U.S. Civil War kind of simulation. Although that's got its own challenges because of the scope of the actions in the Eastern theater, where it's such a smaller geographical area than the Western theater. Um, and also possibly make a companion game to Fog of War that's set in World War II in the Pacific because then the naval is handled exactly the same as the land. It's really, it's, a, which is another thing we make about making it easy to learn is it's the same, the same thing. Um, so it would be relatively easy to extend it into the Pacific. It's just be a question of now you're managing you know, 56 territories instead of, 56 provinces instead of 28 provinces, um, which I wouldn't want somebody to jump into right away. But once you kind of understand the system and start to understand the geography, it might not be too big a deal. So we've been toying with stuff like that.
0: That'd be interesting on the Pacific from the standpoint of aircraft carriers, the island hopping, all of that from the standpoint.
2: Yeah, we'd have to make the supply a little bit more complicated. Um, You couldn't just trace a ton of sea zones and all the way back and, you know, just – you, you, you need to get some kind of bases. There would have to be some sort of rule around that, but yeah, it, it would be interesting to extend the system in that fashion. Is it balanced enough or do it, the allies always win? <laughs> That's always a bit of a bugaboo with these sorts of games, you know, especially in the Pacific war games, because it was going to, you know, Japan didn't have much chance to stand up against, you know, the industrial might of the United States and everybody combined. And, uh, you know, a, a similar situation in Germany, in, in, uh, in Europe, but it's it's not possible, you know, just strictly from a production standpoint for the Germans to win the war in the game. They can win the game, but they can't really win the war. I mean, eventually the Allies get bigger and bigger armies, and and they start to beat down on the uh, Axis powers. So um, we've actually got I, I the victory conditions. I, I think are pretty neat, um, and also factor into the the bluff a little bit. So we've got two. Each side has sort of a sudden death victory condition. So at the end of each year, the Axis player earns victory points based on the territory that they control. Every space is worth at least one point. Some are worth up to four. And if they reach 70 points at any at any time, they win. Um, then the allies can win right away if they simultaneously control uh, Germany's two provinces on the board. If they control both of those provinces, they win. If neither of those conditions hold by the end of the game, then uh, we look at their six Provinces that surround Germany that are these special provinces, Poland and Norway and uh, Poland, Scandinavia, Paris, there's there's a bunch of them. So um, in the beginning of the game, the Axis player picks two, three, actually three cards out of those six provinces and and keeps two of them. So two of those are special provinces that they must hold. If If the Axis player holds those two provinces at the end of the game, they win. If the allies hold one out of the two or both of them, then they win. Of course the allies don't know what they are. There are three cards that are available, three cards that weren't picked by the Axis player are available, and they can simply the the Allies can use their intel to try to look at those cards. And same thing, the Axis can block them with their intel, so um, so that's a whole other area of bluff. If the, if the, there's always going to be at least one area that the allies don't know about. And if the Axis can misdirect them into trying to attack the last, you know, at the last minute and try to grab the last province, what they think is, is one of the key provinces that can be a very satisfying way for the Axis player to win.
1: So we, uh, ask our guild, uh, for some questions that they wanted to run by. And we have a few, we just wanted to run by you. Uh, this, uh, these couple questions are from Patrick Hillier. He asked, have you ever played cribbage in real life? Oh God,
2: Patrick, stop stalking me, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick actually did play Fog of War at uh, BGG Con, so he was one of the, he was one of the folks that I demoed it to. I have played cribbage on an app. I have played it on my iPad. I have not actually played it face to face. So he keeps threatening that he's he brings his cribbage board everywhere and follows me around and and tries to get me to come play cribbage with him. So the kids, they've you're you're an empty nester now um well actually right at the moment both my kids are home with we're doing this right around thanksgiving so we got a full house but but yeah uh, brian has graduated from college and um sydney is a junior in college so um they are both in their 20s which is really kind of freaking me out
0: do y'all still occasionally throw designs back and forth with one? Oh,
2: absolutely absolutely we're actually working right now uh we just are, are put together a complete test of um Plate of characters for a possible dragon and flagon expansion. Comes with uh, nine characters in the box, and we got another nine that are ready to start being tested. So we're excited about that. Including one character which we've had right, which we've rejected from the original one. This is I'm, I'm gonna take a little detour here. I hope you guys don't don't mind. So it, we
0: we squirrel on this. <laughs> this is called a squirrel moment. Go for okay,
2: it. so so we have this one character for the Dragon of Flag and the Illusionist, Selena the Illusionist. And I loved playing this character. What she does is you can play a special ability, so you put two of her on the board. Two little standees. And whenever you play any action, move, slash, throw a mug, whatever, it applies to both of them do it. Okay, so if they're both in position, you can get double score. But if either of them gets hit, you lose points for them. So that's that's kind of the basic premise of the Illusionist. And at any point, you can like just decide that one of them goes away, and she goes back down to one character, and then you have to play this other card again to, for her to put her body double out there. So it's also a real easy way to like just start beaming different places across the board and stuff like that. Anyway, Brian and I, we, uh, we were the main ones that were kind of focused on the Illusionist, and we are both absolutely convinced that she is totally overpowered and will dominate the game. But every single time that we have played her, we have gotten crushed mercilessly. The character has has always come in last place every single time, but we are still so convinced that she is overpowered that we, you know, we are afraid to include her in the game. I I don't know what that says about our design ability or 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 my perhaps just my tactical acumen.
1: Oh, just need some more playtesting.
2: <laughs> but I love the character so much that we come up with some new abilities for her to try to you know to make it work.
1: It was uh Fog of War your first solo design? Yes. Was this more or less difficult design to design this way?
2: Yeah, I actually I kind of started it out with Brian way way back when he was like you know ten years old, twelve years old, something like that was when we first started working on this. Yeah, I you know it was uh difficult later to you know, then then he went off to school and I kind of just picked up the project on my own and this was more up my alley than his. So I, I took it over myself. I mean the the biggest issue with just working on it by myself or with the kids being away is is just play testers. You know, one nice thing about the three of us designing together is it's really easy, you know, hey, let's grab this and sit down and just play through it. You know, even if we want to test four or five players with three people, you can kind of do that. When you have a two-player game that is so heavily based on hidden information, it is very, very hard to play test by yourself because you have to kind of brainwash yourself as you move over to the other side about what's going on and stuff like that. Um, And I got really good at it, but... um, That I think was perhaps the most challenging part of it. So what
0: mechanism in Fog of War did you have to cut that you wish you hadn't?
2: There was one system that I worked on and worked on and worked on, and we had so many different iterations of it, which was the strategic warfare system. The basic idea was that you could use bombers or submarines to attack the deck of the opponent. And it was a whole other layer of bluffing in there with – you know you could pretend to commit subs and the person could you know commit destroyers but then your subs weren't really there and they were someplace else or whatever i mean there was there was a whole other layer of minigame around it and you know just thematically trashing your opponent's deck worked really well cuz sometimes you had dummies and got rid of them in the deck and sometimes it was really strong units and you know if the if the if the axis got a lot of subs out there it worked really well to kind of cripple the 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 allied power and mirrored the actual war really well um the problem was is that it just was, it was just like a a bridge too far. You know, it's just a system too far to have to explain it to people and to have to manage. So there was this whole other, it was like a little separate game that was on the side that, you know, it crossed the main game in the deck and cards you bought and things you put there, but it was just a whole separate little sideboard and, and a whole other little mini game. And we just went through so many iterations, so many iterations. And my son, to his credit, for the last four years was saying, dad, you just have to lose the strategic warfare system. It's just not adding enough to make it work. And um, I just played with it, played with it, played with it, played with it, and got it super smooth and super, you know, interesting and, and even more tension to the game. But in the end, we just we just scrapped it.
1: What game have you always wanted to design but haven't yet for some reason? Like, what is your grail game for design?
2: That's That's an interesting question. I mean, I've got a couple of projects now which I'm kind of excited about. I've got this quantum mechanics-based worker placement game. Uh, which I've been trying to get working for about five years. Uh, so I would like to do that. The thing I guess I would really love to do, and I've, I've toyed with it a little bit. Um, you know, I love civilization games. I love Through the Ages. Um, you know, one of my favorites, though, was um, there was an old SPI game called Freedom in the Galaxy, which was sort of like Star Wars. It was exactly Star Wars there was a whole bunch of planets and you were trying to make rebellions and stuff like that. And it was super detailed and you had characters running around flying missions. And in a way, you know, so I I always wanted to bring that back in a very, very streamlined way of that idea of the rebels versus the Imperials galaxy, um, two player game. Then, you know, recently Star Wars Rebellion came out, which is, was sort of thematically in the same space, but, um, I would still love to take a swing at that. And, uh, um, yeah, I think I could do some really interesting things in a different way than rebellion did it.
0: So the next one, we already know the answer to what game does he enjoy playing? That was complete surprise strike. Okay. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> oh my gosh.
2: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, what, what game did I really enjoy that? I was a complete surprise. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm I'm thinking there's, there's a, I, I, I'm going to come back to that later because there's a, there's a game, I, I know there's a game famously that I announced loudly that there was no way I was ever going to enjoy it. And then I ended up really liking it.
1: And the final question is, is the board game renaissance still in its heady beginnings or has it begun to mature or slow down?
2: I'm very excited about where we're at. I, I think that we are kind of in mid stride here. I, I haven't seen any signs of you know, slowing down. I mean, and, and I think you're, I, I look at it from a couple of different perspectives. You know, first, um, which is the easiest way to measure is just the sheer volume of games that are coming out. You know, you've got so many more new games coming out than ever came out before. When I started in Euro games, you know, back in the mid 90s, around 2000, you could literally buy every new game that came out. And, and I did like, you knew the new Canizia was coming out, you know, in June and you circled it on your calendar and that's, you know, a few years later, obviously it became impossible. And now it's, it's, you know, forget about it. You know, I didn't even know all the games that are coming out much less, you know, be able to acquire them all and play them all. So certainly from that standpoint, it's, it's exciting, but I, I see so many exciting new ideas that are coming out now. I, I still feel that a lot of the promise of narrative is, is still to be uncovered and and discovered of how to integrate that into games. Uh, you know, the way that the, you know, in the seventies and eighties, I've, I've kind of described it as games being, you know, the game market kind of backed itself into a corner, you know, it got super complicated. You had your massive games, like your Starfleet battles and and all of the world war, II, you know, the war games and all that stuff. And things got more and more complicated and more, more obtuse, um, whether it was role playing games and everything. And then, The the Euro games came in and kind of swept that all aside in a big way, but at at, at the sacrifice of, you know, real solid theme and player experience, it was about just about the mechanisms. And, you know, in the mid 2000s into 2010, that's when the designers started to say, oh, I can pull this from column A and this from column B and I can put them together into something that's mechanically solid, but still gives experiences. And, and, and that's kind of where we are now, which I think is so exciting. And, you know, I, I, and and there's still so much innovation that's happening in that area um, that I think it's, it's, we've got a ways to go. I think we still have a ways to go in, and I know some people purists hate it, but I think we've got a tremendous way to go in terms of app integration with games and, and, and those sorts of hybrids. I, I'm, I'm very excited and, and bullish on the the future of, um, the industry and you know just the, the demographics of it and, and the way that more people more and more people are doing it and it's more and more accepted and you see it in more and more big box stores and stuff like that i think it's um I, I i think we're still on the upswing
1: well jeff we gave our listeners an opportunity to find out a little bit more about you and tony and i want to do the same and we're going to do that through our game called Rankum. Jeff, here's how rank them works. What we're going to do is we're going to give you three items, and you rank them in any order that you want, and you can tell us why you rank them that way. Do you understand the rules of this game?
0: I think I've got it. Do you need an example? <laughs> we can go with an example. <laughs> We've had people on here who completely didn't understand, and we, so we built in an example like any good rule book should have.
2: Uh, no, I think I'm ready to jump right
0: in. Let's go for it. See, he's a smart man, Marty. He Yeah, is. He,
1: he's ready to go. Tony, why do you kick us off? All right,
0: so my first rank them for you, sir, is of course around the theme of World War II. Okay, Rommel, Patton, Montgomery. Rommel, Patton,
2: Montgomery. That's that's a tricky one. I thought I thought you guys were going to be, uh, you know, I thought these were all going to be gimmies. I didn't realize it was going to be good. I, you know, I would have <laughs> oh, wait, to. Go- did
0: you hear that, Marty? Hey- <laughs> oh no, I definitely heard that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he must have talked to other people that's been on the show. I'm going to have to, uh, I, I think I'm going to keep him in that order. I, I would have to put Rommel first. Um, I think, you know, in terms of the tactics and the, the, the different theaters that he operated in, I think he was probably one of the premier, uh, you know, the premier general in the war. And then um, I would put Patton second because I was a big fan of the movie. Just love that movie. Uh, and then uh, and then Montgomery because he was he was a little bit of an egotist. Just a, just a little bit, Marty. Just a little bit.
1: I'm gonna go Patton, Montgomery, Rommel, because I'm going for the winners, baby.
0: Woo! <laughs> okay. Oh. And, and Jeff, I agree with you. It's Rommel, Patton, and Montgomery for me. Rommel, I, you know, had he been given the resources and the understanding, and had the higher ups not gotten in his way, who knows what kind of world we would be living in from the standpoint, you know? Like you said, they the resources like your game points out, you know, they ju- they just overextended. So who knows what would have happened there. Mhm. This is inspired from the title of the game Fog of War. Which series?
1: StarCraft, Warcraft, or Command and Conquer?
2: Okay, well this one is a little bit easier for me. <laughs> so I'm going to go. I have to go with StarCraft on top. Um I've played that one by far the most. You know, still every once in a while we'll trot out StarCraft 2 so I can get my ass yes kicked. <laughs> and then I'm going to go with Command & Conquer second and uh, Warcraft third. Warcraft, for whatever reason, never really connected with me. The original Warcraft RTS. Although I have to throw in, you know, I, I'm, I'm also a uh, – I've always been a total annihilation fanboy in the, in the real-time strategy case. So I'll just throw that in as a bonus pick.
0: Hey, number four, you can do that. You can make up your own rules. We've had that happen too. <laughs> Yeah, it's our variant. Sure, um, it's it's the expansion. So <laughs> so for me for me it's going to be StarCraft, Command and Conquer, and Warcraft as well. StarCraft, I mean, any, anytime you say StarCraft, a I just think of the uh, the siege tanks locking in, and then of course the music was incredible. Uh, Command and Conquer was one of my first RTS where I just played the whole series through, and Warcraft it it was it was all right, and
2: it wasn't anything until the MMO showed up. So it's a shame this isn't the Newlywed Game, man, because we would have like the dinette set already. I know we would. were. We're totally synced up here.
1: Okay, I think for the first time ever in Rankum, we have three matching answers. Woo!
2: You know what that means? That means that the que- it was a bad question. That's what it means.
1: Oh. <laughs> oh well we always toss this out to our guild, too, when we're done. So, we'll see if anybody else ranks them differently.
2: Okay.
0: Well, so, are you not going to say why, Marty? Or are you just going to say, yeah, I did it in Walkway? Oh, the,
1: the same reason. StarCraft, I put so many hours in that game, and I love StarCraft 1, StarCraft 2, just so many great memories. Uh, Command & Conquer, I just kind of like that, uh, like the system. The only uh, WarCraft uh, one I ever played was really WarCraft 3. So that was kind of the only, I never did play one or two, but WarCraft 3 I did enjoy, but not as much as the others.
2: Can I go back to my dream game for a second question? <laughs> uh, go sure, for yeah. it. I know we're in is. a different segment now. But, uh, you know, talking about those games, one of the computer games that I've always had a real soft spot in my heart for, although it wasn't really a real time strategy, it was turn based, but it was kind of like that. It was this game called Moon Base Commander?
0: Uh huh, we know that.
2: It was like a, you had to, like, it was like a little artillery game. I mean, you'd launch your bases in the air and there'd be wind and stuff and they would be connected with these lines, these force lines would connect. you'd launch out of bases and you had to try to land on the other guy's lines to cut off his things. I've always wanted to re implement that as like a little flicking game of some type on like a giant whiteboard where you would like shoot these bases out and then you would draw a line from where it landed back to your, the base that launched it. And that you had to, you, the other guys could try to sever the communication line and break it off from your main base and stuff like that. I've always wanted to try to do that. And I actually have tried it on whiteboards. I have bought giant whiteboards and put them on tables and play with it. And it's just, I haven't quite been able to make it work yet, but someday moon base commander, you will be mine. Question number two for me,
0: Enigma, turing's machine atari 2600
2: oh tony that's hard well i have a a, uh that's 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 interesting i'm gonna have to go with (sighs) i guess i gotta put the turing the turing machine at top i can't put enigma over it just because turing was able to break it with that machine so therefore it must be on top and it was also you know, one of the first real rudimentary computers. Then I guess I gotta go Atari Twenty Six Hundred, just strictly on a nostalgia basis. Had one as a kid. Was very, very excited with it. I had saved up so money for years <laughs> to buy it. So and uh, so that would put poor Enigma in third place.
1: I'm going to have to go with uh, Jeff there, Tony. I I agree. Uh, For the same reason, I mean, the Turing machine kind of broke the Enigma machine, so it needs to be last. And Atari 2600, oh, so many hours
0: put into that system. So I got the same order. Okay, well, I'll break from the tradition. Enigma will go first for me, and then Atari 2600, and then the Turing machine. I know without that one, we couldn't have the other ones. But for me, I mean, had it not been for and I guess the movie is accurate them screwing up and using the same words over and over Turing would have maybe not ever broke the code. Who knows once again. Yep.
2: No. And, and yeah, that is actually pretty accurate. I'd done some research on it. So yeah, that, that part of it, at least in terms of the fact that the beginning parts of the messages were all the same and that was the critical part. That's that, that is absolutely true.
0: But, but before we go to yours, Marty. But so to that point, once again, so you think about that, Jeff, and in fog of war and how the intel works. If you're lucky enough to find the province card when you're going through that, there you go. You got lucky, just like mm-hmm. just like the Allies
2: did. Mm-hmm. Yep. See,
0: see that tie-in, Marty. See how I spun that.
2: This is this is top notch top notch podcasting here. This is clinic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my he he is patronizing us I like this uh, yeah I don't know what that
1: means, but I think it is um okay so for the, so for the last one because we went and ate at the Sharknado restaurant uh, <laughs> beef pork
2: poultry well huh I'm gonna have to go oh gosh
1: so this is harder than your machine this, is, this is
2: really this is a tough one, you know because I tend to, you know, I, I eat chicken more than I eat pork. So, I, I, I'm going to have to go beef first, like a good steak, good cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess I'll go poultry second and pork third, as much as I hate to put bacon third. Ooh, oh, bacon. Okay.
0: <laughs> poultry, pork, beef, based on my crowns and having to get it out between my teeth. That's the easiest to hardest. Oh my gosh! That's the reason you really. Hey, we can rank we can rank them however we want to. You can, yeah, that's in the
1: rules. But I'm surprised it was based on that.
2: I thought I'd throw something out. Come on, you, you're just gonna go alphabetical on this one, uh, Marty?
1: <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go by once cravings. Okay. It's always beef, then pork, then poultry. But I eat poultry way more than I do beef.
0: Uh, or sure, pork, just because
1: sure. it's supposedly better for you, more lean. Mm-hmm. But like you, I,
0: I I love a good steak well all I can say is chick-fil-a subliminal messages are getting to everyone because we all do <laughs> <laughs> that's true
1: Jeff thank you so much for coming on the show it has been a pleasure I uh, you have come out with some incredible games especially just in the past man several months fog of war is now out people can order this game now at your local game stores you can get it online you can you got, I think you probably still order it from the stronghold website so if you want to get your hands on it uh you can get it a uh, fantastic job I mean, it's it's a it's a great design it's it's a really cool space to to go into the war war II. um uh, one versus one type mechanic. I know it's been that theme has been done before, but I love what you're trying to do as opposed to little men on the board. It's basically the cards and and trying to plan it out. So I think that's a really cool system. And it sounds like you got some big plans for twenty seventeen. So it's going to be an exciting another year for
2: you. Yeah, I, I'm I'm super excited. There's there's been a lot of activity. So it's it's been fun and thank you so much for having me on. It's been it's been great. We kind
0: of glossed over it, but for those who may still live in a cave and not know about Jeff and where to find him, Jeff, go ahead, plug yourself,
2: please. Uh, so I'm on the uh, the Dice Tower podcast at thedicetower.com, if you're not familiar with that. And also Ludology is at uh, ludology.net. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, uh, at G. Engelstein, which if you find me somewhere, you'll figure out how to spell that. So I'm not going to go through it here, but... <laughs>
1: And I tell you, if, if you want to uh, learn a lot about game design and, and, uh, and the theory behind board games and everything, listen to Ludology. It is a fantastic podcast. Worth yeah, my out.
2: co-host, Mike Fitzgerald, um, he's got like 75 published games, including the Mystery Rummy series. He's done a ton of work on the Pokemon card game. He worked for Wizards of the Coast for years. He's he's a tremendous he've got a tremendous wealth of knowledge about designing in the industry and I'm so happy to have him as my uh, as a co host over the last uh, forty or so episodes.
0: So when you coming out to the Rocky Mountain gaming vacation? That's
2: in June, I think. Is that right? <laughs> Something yeah. like that. So uh, maybe. We'll see. I'm talking to my wife about it, so maybe maybe that'll happen.
0: Oh, that'll be Marty, that'd be awesome. Jeff, Mike, and me. And now Ooh. I'm jealous. <laughs> Just shut up. And then we'll go hiking, go out there, we'll all get lost in the
2: woods and it'll be you'll never hear from us again i i haven't heard any sorts of physical activity occurring at these game things this sounds this is a concept i'm not familiar with <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's not all about eating you're actually hiking and ziplining and rafting and all kinds of neat stuff jeff come on okay okay cool, cool all right well jeff thank you so much for coming on and we really do appreciate it thank you
1: Portal Games is wrapping up an incredible year with some wonderful games that came out, such as their their Cry Havoc and Tides of Madness and so many more. And it's going to be an even bigger year in 2017, as we've talked about the new Alien Artifacts that's going to be coming out. And the big one, Tony, the big one that's going to be coming out also is First Martians and... The second edition of Robinson Crusoe is now out and will be available just in time for the holiday. To find out more about the games they released and to stay up to date on the games that will be coming out, go check them out at PortalGames.pl.
0: Well, once again, a big thank you to Jeff for stopping by. Even though I think he took some really good shots at us, Marty. There.
1: Yeah, and I think most of them went over our head because we're not that intelligent. Oh. And we'll probably go back and listen to this after editing. And go. Hey! Hey! Wait a that minute. was a dig.
0: Hey! One thing I forgot to mention at the beginning of this: um, how how did the um auction for um the vest team go turn out?
1: Yes, <laughs> we now have a new honorary member that's going to be uh, joining us at Origins. The person bid like was it like two hundred and seventy five dollars to become an honorary member of Team Vest, but. We Uh, did induct a new member to Team Vest while we're at BGGCon because of his support. And he said he wanted, we inducted Rich Summer as uh, an honorary member of Team Vest. And we have a picture of all of us wearing our vest, much to the chagrin of Suzanne Sheldon herself.
0: Yeah. And eventually that's going to get so old, no one will even know what the heck you're talking about. Yes, I know. We
1: thought it was done. But
0: it was resurrected for a good cause this time. Yeah, I understand. And it's kind of neat that you always have something that we can go back on, which we'll mention here in a little bit. But before we do that, Toys Hall of Fame. Wow. I would have never thought Dungeons and Dragons would have gotten in.
1: We mentioned this a couple episodes ago about the inductees to the Hall of Fame. And Tony, you and I listed the ones we would hope that would make it. I know
0: I mentioned Dungeons and Dragons. I didn't, but that's okay. I'm good with that. I'm yeah, but fine. did you mention
1: the other one? Did you mention Fisher-Price Little People?
0: No, I don't think I did. I can't remember. It's
1: been too long ago. Okay, so it was Dungeons and Dragons, Fisher-Price Little People, and a swing. Now, okay. how is a swing? I mean, isn't that generic enough to where it's not really
0: deserving of a Hall of Fame? Thing? Dude. Dude. What? They what? put They put stick in it two years ago. They put that on there. And I can understand a stick. A stick was everybody's toys. I mean, that was a gun growing up. You'd run by a tree and grab a stick and it became a gun. You're okay, that's War. true. That's true.
1: But I think it was really cool that Dungeons and Dragons made it as I think it deserves it because I think that was had a huge impact on the culture. It had a huge impact on gaming and RPGs have sprung from that and they're going to be here forever. So uh, congrats to, well, I guess it was TSR originally and now Wizards uh, owns it into the deduction to the toy hall of fame. And little people, God,
0: I had all of them. I had the farm. I had the garage. I had the airplane. I played with the little people constantly and I remember. Getting my daughter, the little people, who had a blast with that system, and it was just you know I say system, but that toy, it was great. I love playing with it, and I think my barn still will move because I have my original. And I swung and
1: a swung, I swung and a swung, I swung. That work yeah, too. Did that too.
0: So yeah, that's pretty neat. And now, so we got another two years for the next nominees come out, and maybe someday we'll be you know finding the toy Hall of Fame and go visit it and look at it and say, hey, look at that, hey, we played with that but anyway
1: (laughs) we played with that stick
0: more importantly though while you were at bgg oh my goodness bgg con yes you tweeted out an amazing an incredible an awesome thing that occurred because our good buddy ignasi yes
1: so here's the deal before we get into this i think we need to go back in time to a couple years ago
0: to this episode listen to this segment here No, it, it's a it's a good break. I enjoyed it. My wife liked it. The neighbors enjoyed it. So I, I'm very glad I traded it away for Robinson. You know, gave Robinson and sold it at BGG and bought that one instead. Sorry, Nasi. He and I talked about that. Okay, that's right. You did have a conversation, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, we did. We talked about that. And if he, all he had to do in Robinson was put one card that just like in Defenders where it says, the realm is quiet. And Robinson, if he had just had one card that said, it's a sunny day, enjoy the beach. <laughs> that would have been it. Your group would have been okay with it. <laughs> that would have been solid right
1: there. Well, it was just because it was too brutal, right, for your group, that game?
0: Constantly. Where's the wood? Where's the food? Oh, who's going to starve now? Oh, no. Yeah. It yeah. was, was never-ending battle of depression on you. So, But it's still incredible game. Robinson, great game. Oh, my. So for the past
1: two years, Tony and I have had this running joke about the sunny day at the beach. I mean, even Ignasi was kind of cool a couple months after we did that little part that he actually drew up some some uh, fake art of what a card would look like. And even to this day, even last spot, Tony, you had mentioned that, uh, hey, Robinson Crusoe is coming, the second edition, but there's no sunny day at the beach. Well, when I was at BGGCon, uh, Merrick from Portal Games was there. Ignasi was not there. And Merrick came into me And he he said, Ignacy wanted me to give you something. And he handed me a card. And it's the Sunny Day at the Beach card. And I thought, oh, this is so cool. He printed it out. He said, no, you don't understand. That's a card from the game. That card is now included in the second edition of Robinson Crusoe. I was
0: floored. Amazing. I cannot believe that. Ignacy a true scholar a true gentleman thank you that right there people is reason enough to go ahead and get robinson it will give you relief when you need it (laughs) as it's beating you down i mean my heavens if you haven't seen it go out to our facebook page you'll see it posted there that is so cool that it is in the game that you will actually have a chance i mean that game is hard let's not let's not sugarcoat it that game is very hard but at least if that shows up that will do what it's supposed to do it will lift your spirits and that is it will great.
1: give you like a, a free pass it'll give you your sunny day at the beach and i tell you i got i got a little emotional i got a little little lump in my throat it's like i cannot believe he did that for, for us that is so cool after all this time for him to actually stick that in the game so ignasi thank you so much that was it's it's an it's a privilege to be working with you. And for you to do that is just, just really, really cool.
0: I obviously it didn't break the game because I'm sure it's going to kick my butt when I get to play it again, but that's <laughs> all right. I'm, I, and, and like somebody pointed out to me, they said, it's doubtful. I will ever draw that card.
1: <laughs> that, that's true. That's true. You still got to actually draw it from the deck, but Tony, now what are we going to do? We, we can't pick on them about that anymore
0: oh, we'll just go to our usual standby that we pick on ourselves and we won't be able to read his cards because the font is so small. Get out my magnifying glass that they gave me at Origins.
1: Maybe he'll surprise us in a year from now. They'll present
0: us a new card with larger fonts. No, he'll just, you know, where they say big box games and he includes everything. (laughs) It'll just be larger size cards. That's what it will be. Ignacy's big box game. Well, no, it's the same game. It's just for bigger fonts for old farts like Tony and Marty.
1: (laughs) Fine. oh that's it but anyway thanks so much so guys when you go out and you get Robinson Crusoe and the sunny day at the beach card is in there you can thank us for it
0: that's right guys. okay actually you can thank a we really had nothing to do with it yeah we didn't we didn't do anything for that so that's all right well guys we really hope you enjoyed this episode 107 here of rolling dice and taking names we had Jeff fog of war really looking forward to playing that From my standpoint, I cannot wait to get to try that. I like the two players. Shoot, you and I, Marty, Stronghold. I mean, we love playing that game, so it would be interesting to see how that plays, you know?
1: Yeah, it is. And I can't wait to play Stronghold again with the new Undead expansions that will be coming out next year, too. Yeah,
0: that looks really, really interesting. So do me a favor. Keep rolling dice. And taking names. For more Rolling Dice and Taking Names, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names, Instagram at Dyson Names. Subscribe to us at iTunes, and thank you, Blood V, for that excellent review. We really do appreciate it. Join our Board Game Geek Guild number 1589 where we have awesome topics like, what's your favorite Pop-Tart? Like us on Facebook. And if you want any Rolling Dice and Taking Names merchandise, be sure to check us out over at AnalogGamer.com. Check out their e-certificates so that you can get it to that so that you can give it to that
1: special someone.
0: There you go. So that you can give the gift to that special someone. That's the broken com. <laughs> that failed miserably at the end.
1: All right, people, the holidays are right around the corner. You got some gift giving to do. You got some secret Santa list to fill out, and there's no better place to do it than at funagain.com. They've got all these great games coming in from Essen. They've got a fantastic pre-order system. You need to go check them out. Join their mailing list. Get $5 off on your next order. Get all this done because the holidays are coming quick and you need to get those packages shipped out. Go check them out at funagain.com.